Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Welcome to Replay the Point. Today is Tuesday, April 4th, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Ackerman, joined as always by Jared Pine of A Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete. How are you doing tonight? Yes, doing well. And uh, in the opening, again, I mentioned it's the month of April, which means that March Madness on the tennis calendar has concluded, and it is Roger Federer pulling off an improbable Innie Wells, Miami double to go along with the Australian Open title in 2017. Absolutely remarkable, especially what it took uh, Federer to get through to the final and win again this time. Your your immediate thoughts on not only Miami, but the first quarter of 2017 for Roger Federer. Yeah, it's been really incredible. And even Roger Federer's been surprised by this. He's been pretty open about that, that his expectations weren't this high. He had some pretty modest expectations for this year. Um, but Djokovic and Murray have both been struggling early in the year, and Federer's come in, and he's filled that void. In, and it seems like, you know, maybe you can teach an old dog some new tricks. He's got a beautiful backhand all of a sudden. And really, with, with Federer, the, the story on him has always been that he has one weakness, the backhand. If you can get to the backhand and make him um, play defensive off the backhand, you got a shot against him. Now all of a sudden, that's a weapon, and you want to stay away from the backhand. So there's – how are you supposed to beat this guy now? Um, and so that's why I think we're seeing him dominate in a new way, even though his body's not as physically fit as it has been when he was younger, you know, eight, nine years ago. Great, great points across the board, Jared. Completely agree. And good question. How do you beat this guy? Yevgeny uh, uh, Donskoy, of all people, has the answer to that in 2017. Doubtful that they'll play again uh, anytime soon. But um, uh, before we get to a couple close calls for Federer in Miami, um, we'll talk about the final here. Federer now four consecutive wins against Rafael Nadal. I don't think Nadal's beaten him in over three years now. Uh, three of these four victories coming in this calendar year of 2017. And you just have to wonder and scratch your head, is is the Rafael Nadal domination over Federer over and out? And has it really, has the pendulum swung a full 180 degrees in favor of Federer? It sure seems to think, it, it sure seems to look that way so far in 2017. Well, you mentioned a pendulum and the things we know about pendulums is they do swing, but they tend to swing back. And you see this with rivalries, especially the best rivalries in tennis. Um, I'm thinking of Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. Nadal dominated Djokovic for a little while. Then in 2011, Djokovic beats Nadal seven times in a row. After that, there was a little stretch there where it looked like Nadal had Djokovic's number. Djokovic couldn't figure out how to beat Nadal on clay. And so it goes back and forth. And it's always been like that, even with Federer and Nadal. Um, you know, Federer's beaten Nadal a number of times even before this year. He's dominated this rivalry at times. And then Nadal has gone through obviously longer, more pronounced periods of times where he's dominated. Well, now the pendulum swung back and Federer's on top of the rivalry right now. 
and this can change. You know, Rafael Nadal is going to go back to the drawing board. He's going to learn from these losses, three losses to learn from. So that's a lot to learn. Nadal is going to be ready for Federer the next time. And this rivalry just keeps getting better and better and better every time. Completely agree. And I I love the uh, analogy with Djokovic and Nadal as well, the fact that Novak Djokovic got on a run and then it, it seemed to correct course a little bit. But, yes, pendulums do swing back and forth. And, uh, again, I, I just want to go back to uh, something we were talking before we got on air. Uh, Jared Barry Buss, who I do a show with here as well, really watched Nadal closely in any wells, saying he, he played very well at, at, at any wells. And, again, Nadal uh, saying that he had high expectations uh, coming into Miami. He he did. He got all the way to the final, played exceptionally well all the way through. So this isn't necessarily a, a Nadal that, uh, even though he's not yet won a title in 2017, which is a little hard to believe, especially given his good form. Uh, again, he's running into Federer, but uh, all high-caliber quality wins for Federer uh, against Nadal, playing a, a very inform and peak Nadal, and obviously his time of the year is coming right around the corner. But your thoughts right now on, again, Federer singing his praises with respect to how well Nadal is playing, especially on hards. Yeah, and I'll go back to my Djokovic analogy again. In 2011, Rafael Nadal was reaching the final of almost every single tournament he played. He reached the final of each of the first five Masters Series 1000s reached the final of several of the majors, there was just one guy he couldn't beat. And that's how it is right now. There's a little bit of a matchup problem with Roger Federer. And the problem is Roger Federer's also getting to the final of every single event. So Nadal, you know, there's no way around him. He's got to beat Federer. And he just hasn't been able to do that three times. That's it. You know, three losses to Federer. Aside from that, it's been almost an unblemished season for Rafael Nadal. So uh, I totally agree with what Barry Buss is saying. He's playing some great tennis right now. And there's only one guy that's being his kryptonite. Uh, nothing wrong with that. For Rafa and Nadal, lots of positive signs here. Yep, absolutely. And um, we're going to be right after Davis Cup weekend, which we're going to talk about a little bit on the show. Jared, uh, it's clay court season here and the ATP Tour. And uh, we talked about Federer matching up with Burdich on the show last week. I really thought Burdich had a shot. I told you I'd give him a set, which he got. Uh, and I was very, very close to giving this match to Burdich. Something stopped me just shy of that, and that was the form Federer had. And, yep, Tomas Burdich not able to convert two match points. Unfortunately for him, the match ends on a double fault. Roger Federer survives that quarterfinal and moved on to the semifinals play curious we'll talk about that in a second but your thoughts on uh a number seven in a row for roger Federer over thomas burdich yeah pete I, I hope people that are betting in vegas on tennis matches are listening to the show on a weekly basis because your predictions have been spot on you predicted <laughs> a rafael nadal roger Federer final you predicted that burdich would give Federer trouble but ultimately failed to get across the finish line and you went two for two on those predictions both bold predictions and you're totally right because Burdich had two match points and he got tight. There's really no other way to explain it. He had some shockingly bad misses. The double fault missed by a ton. Uh, he just got really tight. He had a chance to beat the best player in the world right now. Roger Federer is number one in the race rankings. Burdich had a t- chance to knock him off, and uh, the pressure got to him. There's there's really no way around it. Four points lost in a row at the end after leave, leading 6-4 to four in a tiebreaker. Uh, that's a tough way to go out. And, uh, you know, the good news for Burdich is now we switch over to the clay. 
which is kind of a natural restart. So he can hit the refresh button here and kind of rebound and not dwell on this loss. Good call. I like that. Absolutely right. And Verdich, uh, I, I hope he will indeed take away positives from that match. Oh, so close. Obviously didn't get it done, but uh, he's been around a long time. Again, a lot of success, especially in majors, getting deep into majors. So we'll see what he's able to do uh, in his home tournament of Monte Carlo coming up going forward. And uh, that win for Federer over Burdich, Jared, got him into the semifinals. And we finally did see the Roger Federer-Nick Kyrgios matchup, this time in the semis in Miami. That was the quarterfinal not to be in Indian Wells, with Kyrgios having food poisoning and a pair of long tiebreakers. Federer wins the first one 11-9. Kyrgios comes back 11-9, and then Fed finally gets him in the third set tiebreaker. I was mildly amused, Jared, with uh, people on Twitter saying that Federer needed to close that out in two sets or uh, it would be over in favor of Nick Kyrgios. I didn't quite understand the logic in what people were saying, and they were almost right, but again, almost uh, doesn't count, much like uh, it didn't work for Tomas Burdich. Roger Federer, the veteran, getting through and very, very informed Nick Kyrgios, who's on a monster winning streak again. He didn't – that wasn't a loss. That was a walkover against Federer in any well. So he was riding the momentum. Nick Kyrgios, a very feared player on the ATP Tour. The crowd, a little bit unfair. But, uh, again, Roger Federer has been around for a very long time. The crowd appreciates him, not necessarily liking some of the antics from Kyrgios. But your uh, your take on that uh, match and, and – what Kyrgios can take away from that match as well. Yeah, we'll we'll start with with the crowd. This is Miami, and part of what we love about Miami is the fans are very involved. It makes for a great atmosphere. Miami definitely has one of the best atmospheres, especially at their night sessions. It's one of uh, the very unique things in tennis. I'd say their night sessions have even a different feel than the U.S. Open. It's not as big as the U.S. Open, um, a little more of an intimate feeling, and it's just such a unique atmosphere, and one of a really special tennis event. Uh, so the crowd gets involved. Maybe it's a little bit unfair for Kyrgios, but that's part of Miami. Every single event brings different tricks, different situations. You know, and some some events you're going to have the sun in your eye and half the court in shadows. At the U.S. Open, there's wind. And at Miami, there's a loud crowd. And uh, that's what you got to play through. And it, it's part of what makes that event special. And, uh, yeah, going back to the match, what actually happened on the court uh, one of the secondary storylines of this whole tournament was Roger Federer playing brilliant tennis and tiebreakers. And that's what we saw again. Two of the hottest players in tennis going up against each other. What more could you want than three tiebreak sets? Roger Federer wins two of them, came through clutch big time there. And, uh, yeah, all throughout the tournament, he played extremely well in the tiebreakers and just showing what a veteran he is. And uh, those years of experience for Federer definitely playing paying off for him in the tiebreakers. Yep, completely agree. And, you know, Kyrgios himself said that, uh, you know, with more wins will come more crowd support. Couldn't agree more. I mean, you you look at somebody like a Robin Soderling, two-time Roland Garros finalist, uh, a a very fine career. And uh, a a lot of people, especially the Nadal fans, really not uh, impressed with Soderling and his antics at Wimbledon, mocking Nadal, and that got kind of loud for a while there until until Soderling started going deep in tournaments and winning, and all of a sudden people were on his bandwagon, fans of his. 
Stan Varenka, the same, same. They, not that they were against Stan, but you look at all the crowd support he has now with three majors in his pocket, and obviously that happened. So Nick Kyrgios, spot on with respect to more wins, and uh, you're going to get more fans, more people in your camp. And, again, I think even some of the people giving cat calls, unfortunately, toward Kyrgios, really sort of uh, on the other half of their brain sort of appreciated what they were seeing with the brashness and boldness of what he was bringing. Maybe not everything that he uh, uttered and muttered and uh, slammed on the court, but at the same point in time, Nick Kyrgios, a big breath of fresh air. I would think, again, Jared, with how you describe Miami, as we all well know and love this unique tournament, they will come in very short time, in my opinion, to embrace Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think in sports, uh, fans love a villain, and Nick Kyrgios has kind of embraced the villain role. But there's a big difference between a villain that wins a lot and a villain that's constantly losing. And if you're a villain that's constantly losing, you're kind of like a Wayne Odesnik, and you don't have any <laughs> fans. So Nick Kyrgios is totally right. The more he wins, the more he's going to get fans, the more people will come to appreciate him, even though – it might be a different kind of love they have towards him because he has accepted this villain role. Uh, but every sport needs that. You know, in basketball, LeBron James kind of embraced his villain role, and he was a winner, and he brought in tons of fans to the sport. I could see Nick Kyrgios definitely having a similar kind of role in tennis um, because he is just a fantastic tennis player on top of a great personality. Yeah, good call, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Kyrgios when we give our Davis Cup previews, but um, I want to go back to Rafael Nadal again. Um, very impressed with his form in 2017, just running into the buzzsaw that is Roger Federer these days, was boldly proclaiming that uh, he wanted to do very well in Miami, which he did, and again, until he got to the final against Federer, but Nadal, what is it, uh, you know, 0-5 in Miami finals? I mean, it, it, it's almost like Djokovic in Cincinnati is just not able to get this one. Uh, I, I Again, my takeaway from Nadal, not only Miami, but so far in 2017 is impressive. But your thought, Jared, I mean, you, you've studied Djokovic and obviously those fast records and running into guys like Federer or having won the Canadian Masters coming in, playing a lot of tennis, just, you know, playing even Murray has has success in, in Cincinnati. Your thoughts on maybe what isn't necessarily happening for Nadal to finally reach the pinnacle at, at, in Key Biscayne? Yeah, well, he has reached the final five times, and that in itself is a great accomplishment. The fact that he hasn't gone through in any of them, you kind of have to go through a case-by-case basis. You know, a few of those times he ran into a red-hot Novak Djokovic. This time he runs into a red-hot Roger Federer. And that, that's kind of the thing in tennis. The guy that's constantly making the finals isn't the one that's only making it there when he's playing his best tennis. You know, and, and usually Nadal's on the flip side of this, where he's the one who's only making the finals when he's playing amazing tennis. Uh, for some reason at Miami, that's not the case. He's been able to reach the final there consistently, and that's something that should be looked at and admired. Um, I think sometimes when we put the emphasis on 0-5, it kind of sends this, uh, negative message that he's lost five times. Well, he's reached the final five times. And mm-hmm. I, I noticed it's a lot, a similar phenomenon going on with Yvonne Lendl. People say he's lost more Grand Slam finals than anyone else. You know, that's the wrong way to look at it. He's reached, um, I think, the third most Grand Slam finals of anyone in tennis history. That's an incredible mm-hmm. accomplishment. Yvonne Lendl, one of the all-time greats in tennis, and sometimes he gets underrated because 
of that poor record in Grand Slam finals, but that doesn't make him a poor player. Um, so for Rafael Nadal, you know, maybe one day he'll make his breakthrough in Miami. Um, if not, it's one of nine Masters 1000s. He has plenty of titles at Monte Carlo, Madrid, and Rome. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, NFL fans. You know, the Vikings and the Bills have, have been to the Super Bowl a bunch of times. They've never won one, and people can make fun of them. But uh, wow. other people like myself, uh, my hometown, my, my team hasn't even been to one. So uh, I'd rather get there and, and, and lose than uh, not, not even get there. So absolutely right. And Nadal obviously has a, a trophy collection, uh, a vast one from all over the world. So absolutely right. Good good call on that. He's reached the final five times. This is the focus. And uh, Jared, Fabio Fognini, the opponent for Nadal in the semifinal, I uh, just want to give a shout-out to him. Uh, took out Kei Nishikori. We talked a little bit about this on the preview last week, but uh, I was surprised. A lot of people not so much given uh, Fognini's form and uh, Nishikori, once again, a question mark. Uh, you know, is the trainer going to come out? Is the doctor going to come out? Is he going to finish the match? Good Lord, it's, it's you know, late March, early April, and, and the questions are already starting for Kane Nishikori in 2017. Uh, a couple questions on this. How is Fognini able to get to the semis, and what in the world is up with Nishikori again? Yeah, this is becoming much more worrying every time it repeats itself with Kane Shikori. We've known this for a few years about him, that he's injury-prone. But you kind of think, okay, it's going to go away at some point. He's going to have a stretch of 52 weeks uninterrupted. And the more these injuries pop up, it seems like they're coming more frequently. The more I'm starting to think, he may never go a long stretch in his career where he is not being hampered by injuries. And, uh, you know, it's too bad. He's obviously one of the great players in tennis we saw that in the 2014 u.s open semifinals when he took out a red hot novak djokovic um he's a great tennis player and injuries have held him back and you know like i said the more this happens the more worried i become that this will always be something that follows him around and uh, as for Fanini, full credit to him for taking advantage uh we've seen this with Fanini at different times in his career where he's playing some great tennis uh, I remember in 2011, he reached the uh, Roland Garros quarterfinals, a similar run here this week where he's just playing great tennis, takes advantage of a little bit of an opening in the draw and makes the most of it, picks up 360 ranking points. That's going to carry his ranking for the next 52 weeks. So a great result for Fabio Fagnini. And, uh, yeah, he's going to keep doing it, this kind of thing all year. Yeah, I agree completely. Always a pleasure to watch him play. Uh, he's got antics. We can see him watch. He, we can see him blast balls out of the stadium and and do whatever. But uh, I'm always amused when he uh, just you know saunters up to the line and just throws the ball up like he's hitting in the park and then cracks uh, cracks a wicked serve. But uh, always always fun to watch Fognini play. It's a treat. And um, another result I want to talk about from Miami, Jared Alexander Zverev, a uh, very impressive win over Stan Wawrinka, uh here, the number one seed in Miami. And then uh, concurrent to that, uh, right after that, very good battle, as we saw again uh, recently with Nick Kyrgios. That's becoming quite a rivalry. So two-part question. Zverev takes out Stan. Zverev once again does battle with Kyrgios. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked a little bit about last week. I, I predicted the win of Zverev yep. over Stan. It had just happened when we got on air. So we've had a little bit more time 
to digest it, look back on it, and really just an incredible performance by Sasha after losing the first set, only loses three games the rest of the way. And it was uh, such a dominating performance. And it looked like we are going to see something similar against Kyrgios. Lost the first set, battled hard in that second set, saved some match points, wins the second set tiebreaker 11-9. and Seemed like he ran out of gas there in that third set. Nick Kyrgios took full advantage. And uh, with the way Nick Kyrgios serves, you know, it just puts so much pressure on your opponents. If, if you're tired and play one bad game on your own serve, uh, that that's going to cost you. And that definitely seemed to be the case there. Kyrgios took full advantage, just stayed solid on his serve. And, uh, yeah, really admire the, the guts it took from Kyrgios to bounce back after losing the tough second set, win that one in three sets, and advance to the semifinals. Yeah, and I have a couple comments on Twitter. And, uh, you know, right after the Kyrgios-Zverev match and along the lines of, you know, if this is what tennis looks like after – Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray are done. We're we're in very good hands. We're in very good shape. Couldn't agree more. Uh, these guys are just starting to bring it right now, and, and bring it they are. Some wonderful, incredible battles so far, and uh, I just hope both guys can stay healthy and uh, a few other of the young guns can, can elevate their game and join these guys because it's going to be fun, the next group, next crop that we've talked about on the show quite a bit. And, Jared, before we move on to... Davis Cup, which is getting underway in, in three days, or I guess two and a half days if we uh, look at Australian time and whatnot. Anything else from Miami? Well, I just want to add on to what you just said right there about the future of tennis being in the hands of Alexander Zverev and Nick Kyrgios. Um, I, I absolutely agree. I've never understood this argument that when the, the big four retires, tennis is going to go through the dark ages. Uh, really what's been happening for the last 10 years is there have been four players that have hogged the, the limelight, and that's fine. They've done great with it. But when they retire, that's going to open up the door for someone else to step in and take over tennis. And uh, regardless of who it is, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. Tennis as a sport is great. It's not the individuals that make it great. It's the sport. And um, so whoever the, the players are that are competing for the biggest trophies, we're going to be uh, drawn in and excited to watch it. So if that's Nick Kyrgios and Sasha Zverev over the next 10 years, uh, I totally agree. We're going to be seeing a lot of fun tennis, and I'm excited for it. Completely agree. And what a fabulous transition, Jared, from Miami right into Davis Cup. We just keep talking about none other than Nick Kyrgios. And, again, long way to go. Uh, finished his semifinal against Federer and, uh, on Friday. And um, – has to play Friday his time in Australia, certainly less than a full week with all the flying time and whatnot to Brisbane, Australia. And uh, Nick Kyrgios taking on Team USA. Uh, a Canadian journalist wrote back to me when I said uh, on Twitter that Kyrgios is going to next play U- – he's going to play U- the U.S. Uh, in Brisbane. And uh, I got a reply back saying uh, I, I felt like Kyrgios – took on all of the USA in, in Miami against that crowd and uh, some truth in that and whatnot. But um, Jim Courier coming out and saying Kyrgios is going to be under a lot of pressure in Australia. Um, come on, Jim. I mean, really, or do we have to go there? I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little surprised that uh, the fur flying is starting already. Uh, I, I'm not really sure why that needs to happen. The Kyrgios is going to play his tennis, his brand of tennis. He's going to be very fired up and, um, I expect uh, a couple of good, very good results from Nick Kyrgios as he takes on the Americans. Uh, what do you think here? 
Yeah, these are going to be some really fun matchups to watch, especially when Nick Kyrgios and John Isner go up against each other. You see kind of the contrasting of, uh, obviously, Servbot has a negative connotation, um, but that's what these guys kind of get labeled with because their serve numbers relative to their return numbers, there's a big gap. But John Isner's that way because he has a great serve and not much else. Nick Kyrgios is that way because he has such variety on his serve and his whole game is based around his serve. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see Nick Kyrgios go up against John Isner. Um, but, yeah, if we go back, like you said, to Miami, there were three Americans in the Sweet 16. None of them were named John Isner or Sam Query. It was Jack Sock who actually went on to the quarterfinals, Jared Donaldson and Donald Young. So the – the depth of the American talent is, is there right now. Only four guys get to step up for U.S. Um, for John Isner and Sam Curry, it's time for them to prove that they deserve a spot in this team and uh, get it done with some big wins here against Australia. Yeah, I, I think Kyrgios, uh, and again, we've seen him uh, display some less than stellar behavior representing Australia in Davis Cup. I still think he's on a roll. Uh, I think he's got a little chip on his shoulder, probably always does, but especially so after not closing out the first set against Federer and not closing out the match against him as well. I think he's going to take it out on Team USA, even to the detriment of uh, the initial portion of his clay court season. He's very determined. This is a a big moment for Australia uh, to be able to parlay this going forward quite possibly, but um, no disrespect to young Jordan Thompson and even Sam Groff, but I, I, I'm really looking at this as a one-man wrecking squad from Australia, and that is none other than Nick Kyrgios. I think he can get a couple wins for him. He's going to need some help, whether that be Groff or even the doubles team to get him through, but uh, I really think this is going to be a toss-up going forward, but I am giving Nick Kyrgios both singles tie wins. Yeah, and you got to find a way to get that third one somehow. John Pierce is ranked number two in the world right now for doubles. Uh, I imagine he's going to be playing with Sam Groth, who obviously has a big services of his own. So, um, you know, ticket holders at this event are going to be treated to some bombs of serves. Uh, you know, you got six of the biggest serves in the four Americans, along with Groth and Kyrgios at this event. So, uh, no matter what, we're going to be seeing some great tennis. Uh, and the USA is there without the Bryan brothers. Doubles, the doubles point for USA Davis Cup used to be locked in. That was the one point they knew for sure they were going to get. Not the case anymore. Uh, so the, if you're right, the Nick Kyrgios wins both singles matches. The Americans need to be playing really well because that means they need to beat Jordan Thompson both times and win the doubles tie. So uh, either you upset Nick Kyrgios or you're perfect everywhere else. Yeah, and the Aussies are really high on Jordan Thompson for good good reason, too. Uh, again, he had a, a pretty good run at the Australian Open, and obviously he's back home in Australia representing his country. Uh, we'll, we'll see what that all means, but uh, good call. The Americans really don't have much margin for error going against Nick Kyrgios and company on the road. Jared, uh, Great Britain less Andy Murray going to France and uh, playing the French, and I, I don't know if you can confirm this. I had thought I had seen that Bear was not going to play doubles. I'm not quite sure if that's the case or not. But um, still, uh, as we talked a little bit last week, very formidable. Uh, as you mentioned, and I really like what you said, uh, the doubles uh, is going to be very important. I, I really think this is going to be one squared at one heading into doubles, and that could be a lot of weight on the shoulders of Jamie Murray going forward. Uh, I just see... 
the Brits sneaking one out on, on opening Friday, and, and really the doubles could very well swing this one. Yeah, I haven't heard the latest on Air Bear on whether or not he will be there able to compete in doubles. Obviously, if he is, he's a very talented doubles player. He and Mahu uh, make up one of the best doubles teams in tennis right now, so that would be a lot of fun to see them go up against Inglot and Murray. Uh, meanwhile, the French for singles have Gilles Simone, uh, an established veteran, and then Luca Puy. Uh, maybe you can credit Luca Puy with Roger Federer's success of late because he was Roger Federer's hitting partner for the whole off season. And even Luca Puy has had quite a bit of success of his own. So both Federer and Puy have benefited mutually from that relationship and are playing well in 2017. So really excited to see what Puy can do in this setting of Davis cup. Obviously Daniel Evans and Kyle Edmonds and Kyle Edmonds, they're not Andy Murray, still very talented. So they're going to give the French all they can handle but I think the French are probably going to get this done with singles. And if they have air bear and doubles, that's going to make it even tougher for Great Britain. So I see France getting through this one pretty straightforward, but certainly room for an upset if you're Great Britain. Yeah, good call. I like that. And um, Novak Djokovic will be in action at home in Serbia. Rafael Nadal will not represent Spain on the road in Serbia. And um, just a hypothetical Um do you think if this were on the road, do do you think we'd see Djokovic? Uh, purely hypothetical question, Jared. Yeah, obviously that it's hard to know. Um, depends if it's in Spain. Obviously that helps. It's not too far from Monte Carlo. It's probably going to be played on clay, so not a huge stretch to go from the Spanish clay over to the Monte Carlo clay. Um, so I, I think that would help Djokovic's chances. However, we talked about this about a month ago, I think, ahead of time, saying Nadal and Djokovic don't want to play each other in Davis Cup. Maybe if Spain's hosting, Nadal doesn't skip out, and Djokovic is the one that does. So, um, yeah, obviously a lot of it depends on that. So I think either way, there's no chance you're seeing both Nadal and Djokovic at the event. Yeah, I like that. And um, whom do you like in this one? I've, I've, you know, obviously Djokovic going to play – up to two singles matches, a uh, very formidable doubles player in Zimanich and whatnot. Troitsky, always a solid player as well. A little bit of a somewhat depleted Spanish roster, although saying the nine, number 19 and number 24 guys in singles are uh, are, are anything less than, than high-quality players. But, uh, again, maybe not the, the names that one would expect from Spain. Yeah, and then you also have the 19-year-old Jaume Munar, who uh, just isn't ready for this level of play quite yet. He's he's a talented up-and-comer, uh, but putting him into the Davis Cup lineup kind of shows, like you said, just how depleted they are at this point. I think they probably come into this a little bit half-hearted, knowing they got to go up against Novak Djokovic. Uh, it's, it's a similar situation to what we said with the United States and the Australian Open. Spain has to be perfect because the chances that they upset Djokovic on his home soil is uh, going to be very difficult to do and on top of that Victor Troitsky always plays well at home so the Serbians big favorites going into this one obviously there is a chance for Spain to pull off the upset both Ramos and Carreño Busta ranked in the top 25 so if they take care of their singles matches against Troitsky and it comes down to doubles Spain all of a sudden does become the favorite but that's what it's going to take everything's got to go right for Spain to win this one 
Yeah, I like that. And um, going to move on to the last pairing here, uh, the Belgians hosting Italy. And uh, Jared, last year, David Goffin reached the semifinals of both Indy Wells and Miami. Not this year. Obviously, he still played very well, but uh, couldn't match those results. I'm expecting him to really take it out on uh, the Italian squad in Davis Cup as a result of maybe some disappointment there. He was able to earlier uh, get into the ATP top 10 for the very first time in his career. He's down to 14 now, obviously a ton of points to defend and at the Indian Wells Miami double didn't quite fare as well in both cases, but I'm really like a fan. He's at home uh, again, Fognini, as we've mentioned, has had a lot of success in March as well. Indy Wells, Miami. Uh, the Italians always tough with the guys they roll out. Uh, Belgium's got Goffin, Darcy, Bellman's, uh among others. Uh, the Italians, uh, a high, highly veteran squad as well. I'm liking Goffin to get the, the job done here and, and set the table, and, and the Belgians eking out a win over Italy. How about you? Yeah, I agree with you. Both the Belgians and the Italians prefer clay. Well, it's going to be played on indoor hard court, and the reason for that is the Belgians are a little bit more flexible when it comes to the surface of the court. Obviously, they prefer clay, but if their opponent's weaker on hard courts, the Belgians are willing to go over to hard. And like you mentioned, Gofan had great success at both Indian Wells and Miami this time last year. He's proved himself on hard courts. Um, Fabio Fanini coming off some nice wins but that also means less time to prepare for this tie. Uh, he's got to make the move from Miami all the way to Belgium. That's a tough one in a short period of time. So I, I think all those things add up to give the Belgians a big advantage in this one. David Gofan takes care of business. Ruben Bemelman's a veteran doubles player, very established there. His ranking's down right now, uh, but still a great doubles player and um, whoever they partner him with, I like his chances of getting it done in doubles. Yep, I, I like that call, absolutely. And, Jared, before we wrap up, anything else uh, as we're approaching, uh, really, Thursday night our time uh, with respect to what, what, what's going to happen in Australia on, on Friday morning over there? Anything else uh, that uh, jumps out at you or a shout-out you like to give with the Davis Cup participants? Yeah, well, just excited to see what all happens the rest of this week. And, uh, you know, we've been saying we think this is a good year for the Americans to make a deep run. It'd be great for American tennis to have that to be excited about. Um, you know, they're going to get the winner of Belgium, Belgium and Italy if they do get past Australia. I like their chances there. And if the United States is in a Davis Cup final, watch this country come alive for tennis again like it has like it hasn't since really the 1980s. And so, you know, I think that would be so great. Um, so first first things first, got to get through this weekend, got to get through Nick Kyrgios and company. Uh, that's going to be a tough task, um, but definitely doable for the United States. This is some very exciting time for American tennis fans. Yeah, completely agree. It's always nice. Uh, well, three of these ties, uh, Jared, taking place in Europe, but uh, we've got the outlier there in Australia, which means, uh, again, we've got tennis nearly around the clock, uh, starting, obviously, as I mentioned, Thursday, our time, uh, which is Friday in Australia, and uh, all the other ones will be going on concurrently in Europe. But um, absolutely right, exciting time of the year. We're transitioning from March Madness on the tennis court to Indy Wells, Miami, have concluded the liaison, if you will, Davis Cup, leading us into the clay court season. And uh, as we mentioned, Rafael Nadal, very fired up about the fact He'll be on his stomping grounds, and uh, 
probably equally excited that Federer's not necessarily going to play much on clay. So on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night.